One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys. Everybody keeps, we were singing, he keeps getting better. You guys keep getting better looking. And I know some of you, it's been a while since I've seen you, so you've had time to get um, very good looking. And uh, you look great this morning. Everybody watching online, you look great as well. And uh, we're so glad to be together this morning. Um, I know some of you may be here as guests for the first time. Uh, and we all feel, this. it's been a little while since we've been in a regular gathering rhythm. So I know all of us may feel like we are newcomers getting back into the routine of things, but we're so glad uh, that you're here this morning. Uh, if you are new here with us, my name's Justin. I'm the pastor here at One Church Park District, and uh, we are just so glad to be together. And uh, it has been, uh, this month is a year since we've been in a regular gathering rhythm. And uh, anybody glad to be together this morning? It's, isn't it good to be together? And um, and we're, we're thrilled that we can gather online. We're thrilled that we can gather in homes. Uh, but it is also so, so good to be together in person this morning. And uh, today is, um, is the beginning of a new routine, a new rhythm, uh, that we are going to be meeting biweekly. Uh, hopefully, you've gotten the word on that. I know there's a little confusion. Sometimes there can be confusion. Biweekly, does that mean twice every week we're meeting? Is that every other week? Uh, what does that mean? So uh, here's kind of the routine. We're here today. Today's March 7th. We're going to be back here two weeks from now, okay? So that will be March 21st, all right? Everybody say 21st. All right. And then two weeks later, we're going to be back. That will be April 4th. Who knows what April 4th is? Easter. That's right. April 4th is Easter. And uh, we are so glad that we're going to get to celebrate Easter together, celebrate that we serve a risen Lord, a risen King. And so we, I just want to encourage you, uh, plan to join us, plan to invite somebody uh, to come, and we're just going to have a great Easter celebration. Uh, and then after that, two weeks later, so that's the 4th, that will be the 18th, April 18th, we're going to be back together here, and we're going to be kicking off a series through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is a beautiful, beautiful book. If you are unfamiliar with the scripture, Nehemiah is perhaps the most uh, inspiring, vision-filled, uh, victorious book in the Bible, perhaps. And, uh, and, and all about God's people rebuilding. And so I, I'm excited to get to preach through that. We'll start that in April. And then also in April, uh, we've got something else special coming up, and that is a men's retreat. And uh, yep, some of the men are excited about that already. We are taking our first ever One Church Park District, uh, or perhaps One Church as a whole, I don't know, One Church Men's Retreat, all right, on April 15th to April 17th. Uh, we're going to be going to the mountains of Tennessee. And uh, who likes to go to the mountains, guys? I, I don't know about you. I just feel more manly in the mountains, okay? And so we're going to go to the mountains and um, have a great time of fellowship, of being together, some time of prayer together and seeking the Lord together, and then also just some fun uh, hiking and just enjoying the beautiful scenery there. And so I want to encourage you, men, uh, mark your calendars, plan to be a part of that on April 15th to April 17th. So that's Thursday morning. We will leave. We will fly up to Tennessee, okay? So it's $300 for the whole 
uh, for the whole trip. That's airfare, that's accommodations, that's food while you're there, all right? And I'll just mention this. If you hear that and you say, man, there's no way that I can do that, uh, I just want to say come talk to us, and uh, we want to make sure that there is uh, nothing financially that would hinder anybody from coming And because uh, we just think it's going to be a really, really important time. So that will be awesome. And also, uh, even as we are back together here, I just want to remind you guys that although we're here biweekly, that doesn't mean that church is biweekly. Uh, we are in a rhythm of gathering, and uh, we gather here, and then we gather in our house church groups, okay? And so, in fact, if you are a house church leader, would you mind just standing to your feet right now so that everybody can see all of our house church leaders, here's some over here, Marsha, Rachel, Joshua is around somewhere. And so uh, if you are not, you guys can be seated. If you're not in a house church group, I want to encourage you, uh, join a house church group. We have always believed uh, that uh, church is not just a large gathering, but church is a community. And so you need a group, a place where you can build relationships, a place where people uh, get to know you. Uh, as great as it is to look at the back of everybody's heads here, uh, we need to be in a place where we're face-to-face, and that happens in our house church gatherings. And so uh, if you've not been in one of those, uh, see one of these people or stop by the Connections Bar after service, and we'll help you to get signed up. All right? Awesome. Well, if you have your Bible, grab it and turn with me to the book of Second Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. And we are going to continue our series, kind of our vision series that we've been in uh, for the past several weeks that we are calling Keep Open House. And uh, that phrase kind of comes out of uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus in the message says this, uh, keep open house, live generous lives, and, and you'll cause people to open up with this generous Father in heaven. And so we've been talking about kind of four spaces of home and how that really shapes us as a church and uh, that there is a, a porch and that's the uh, kind of the, the public space where we uh, engage with the community, where we uh, meet our neighbors, where we love the world around us on the porch. But then there's also the family room and that's the place like we're gathered today as a family where there's this sense of usness. There's this sense of belonging. There's this sense of, man, it's just good to be together. But then there is also the table, and the table is that place of house church, of being together in community where we are cared for, where we are known, where we are loved. And then ultimately, there's the bedroom. And the bedroom is the intimate place, which is ultimately uh, about us being alone with the Father, as Jesus said. And I I believe this, that uh, you can never be dependent. Your spiritual life can never be dependent on a gathering alone. Uh, In fact, the gathering is intended to be the overflow of what happens ultimately on your own with the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, as good as it is to be back together, uh, don't say, well, I just show up every couple of weeks and get built up spiritually. That would be like if I said to my wife, I'll see you in two weeks, and and, and let's just be married biweekly. How many of you know that would not go very well, right? We We need alone time. We need to be together. And so we've been talking about that, and I want to continue today out of 2 Samuel chapter 7, and I want to kind of shift gears today, and I'm calling this message, There's No Place Like Home. There's no place like home. 
2 Samuel chapter 7, and uh, this passage in my Bible is, is titled, God's Covenant with David. God's Covenant with David, and it says this. I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture. Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay, good. I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse 17. It says this, Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, that the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse 8, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own. Can I hear an amen? And move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before uh, shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever, according to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that your word is alive. And Lord, we ask that you would cause the word to come alive in our hearts today by the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that there would be faith released in our hearts to receive, God. Let it not just be a natural word, but Father, let there be a supernatural coming alive of your word in our hearts, God, as we receive by faith your word. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Everybody click your heels together and say, there's no place like home. 
Of course, that's a, a statement that was said by Dorothy as she was returning back to Kansas. And uh, whether you've been to Kansas or not, uh, all of us can relate to that longing for home. Within every single person, there is this sense of, I, I want to be home. I, I want to be in a place that I can call my own. Uh, I want to be a play in a place where, you know, it's, it's not just about bricks and mortar or wood and nails, but a place where I can experience that sense of uh, belonging, that sense of acceptance. Uh, I want to be in a place where I can feel protected, a place where I can feel cared for, a place where I can be with my people. Uh, I want to be in a place where I'm fed and where uh, there's a sense of identity and belonging in that place. Every person has a longing to be home. And uh, if you don't believe me, uh, just go look for a home right now because uh, buying a house is crazy right now. Uh, because within every person, there's a longing to be home. And, and the reason for that is, is not because we just want that, that you know, brick and mortar, but there's something within every one of us. There is an eternal longing for home. And ultimately, everything that we want, everything that we look for, not just the floor plan, the three-bedroom, two-bath, or fill-in-the-blank, and not just the open floor plan or the new kitchen or whatever it is in the natural, ultimately, what we long for in home ultimately is a longing that is God-given. And ultimately, it's a longing that is only fulfilled by God. The things that we long for in home can only be fulfilled by God. And it's beautiful to have a home, but a home apart from God will never be satisfying. It, only in God's presence is really the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace. You can have the most beautiful house in the world, but if there is no joy, if there is no peace, if there is no love, it's not a home. It's just an orderly pile of building materials, right? There's this longing for home because ultimately uh, within every person is a longing for life with God. The longing for home is merely uh, breadcrumbs that lead us to our ultimate longing, and that is for life with God, life in the kingdom. And, and I want you to understand that, that uh, God has put that within us. He's put it within us, a longing to be home. Now, we as a church have not been together on a regular basis in almost a year. And I don't know about you, but just walking in today, I felt like, oh, it's so good to be together. There's this sense of, oh, man, it's great to be together. And we're home. That can, that's the feeling of home. We're home. Now, I don't mean home physically, but home in God's presence. And that is what David was sensing. David, in this passage that we are reading, was finally home. David, if you know David's story, uh, he had fought not, a, uh, not an intense real estate market to get in this house, but he had fought all kinds of battles throughout his life. It was really struggle after struggle. David had been anointed king as just a boy, and he had to fight giants, he had to fight armies, he had to uh, flee from a, a crazy king. And finally he became king of a divided nation and he had to bring that nation together, had to reunite it. It was a struggle. 
And here in this passage, we find for the first time ever, David is finally home. Life is good. Life is comfortable. The Bible doesn't say this, but I just imagine that he's sitting there in his favorite chair, maybe some sort of nice leather lazy boy reclined. He's drinking his favorite drink, and he just takes a deep breath, and it's, oh, it's good to be home. Who knows that feeling? Who knows that feeling? And, and, and no sooner, though, has David had that longing, or David has had that, that moment of satisfaction, that he begins to stir with a deeper desire. He begins to stir with a deeper desire. Uh, I, I'm not home. There's something more. There's something more. And, and really, again, that's ultimately because our longing for home points us back to God. It points us back to God. And that's the story of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible is that ultimately we can never be satisfied, regardless of how great a home we live in, we'll never be satisfied outside of being at home in God's presence. The, the life we long for is being at home with God. And the good news of the Bible is that God has come to us. That God has come to us. That God has made his home with us. That although mankind has been separated because of sin, and we lost that sense of home and connection in the garden, that God has restored us back to relationship with him. What was lost in the garden was, was promised back to Israel and, and was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. The story, uh, you could sum up the whole Bible by saying this, God wants to live with us. God wants to live with us. He wants to dwell among us. That longing that we have for a home. I don't care, granite countertops, you know, all the things in the natural, whatever it is. And some of you that are realtors, you could tell me that buying list. It's been a little while since I've bought a house. But ultimately, none of those things will bring the satisfaction that we long for because we're created for life with God. And the good news is that what, what was lost in the garden was promised to Israel and was fulfilled through Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross... That veil of the temple that was the separation between God and man was torn. Symbolic of the presence of God being released into the lives of every single person that would respond to God in faith. And through Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be outsiders to the presence of God. We no longer have to strive to think if I could just get that house, if I could just get to that car, if I could just get, you know, this uh, income or whatever it may be, then I'd be at home. The life we long for is available through Jesus Christ. He is the key. He's the house key at the cross. God signed the covenant, the contract in his blood. It is paid in full. There's not even a mortgage on it. Is paid in full. Jesus is the key to enter into home in the presence of God. And so when we have that understanding, it causes us to say, like David said, I, I want to build a house for God. Or, or like Jacob said at Bethel, how awesome is this place? God is here and I didn't know it. 
That's the beautiful good news of the gospel is that, that you can have heaven on earth. Now, I know some of you say, well, Justin, that sounds, that sounds like some sort of prosperity doctrine. No, that's because you're thinking heaven means driving a certain kind of car. That's not what makes heaven heaven. Do you know what makes heaven heaven? It's where God is. It's where God is. Which means, I know sometimes we say, well, if God is so loving, why wouldn't he not, why would he not let everyone into heaven? Well, how loving is it if somebody has spent their whole life trying to run from something to force them to be in it for eternity? The most loving thing that God can do for some people is to give them what they want for eternity. So if I've run from the presence of God and I've run for satisfaction in other things that will break down, that will burn up, that will rust out, God may just give me what I want. God may give me what I want, but the good news is that if we, if we say, no, there's nothing in this world that satisfies but you, God, God will give you what you want. He will give us access to his presence. And when we recognize that, that regardless of the house I live in, my sense of home and stability and strength is not found in the square footage of my house or the beauty of the paint. Nothing wrong with painting and design and decor, by the way. My wife would just want me to clarify that. But when I say my peace is not found in the physical environment that I'm in, but my peace, even if I'm in a place, it's the last place I want to be in the world, but my peace isn't found in the place I'm in. My peace is found in the presence of God. We'll say like David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Why? Because I just want to be with God. He gives me joy that nothing else can give me. He gives me peace that nothing else can give me. He gives me security and strength that no concrete wall can give to my life. I just want to be in God's house. And that's what David said because he had a revelation of God's goodness and the good news of the gospel even before Jesus had ever come, that he had access to the presence of God. And so he said, God, I want to build you a house. I want to build a place for you to live. And that's what happens in our lives when we realize that we have access to the presence of God. We suddenly want to build a place for God. I'm not just talking about a physical place, but God, I want to make room in my life. I want to make room in my schedule. I want to make room in my finances. I want to make room in, in my mind, in my thinking, because I just want to be in your presence. And, and so I want to talk to you about becoming a builder of God's house. Becoming a builder of God's house, because it's in God's presence that there's fullness of joy. It's in God's presence that there's peace. I want to share with you a few things out of the life of David that I believe we need to recognize. And we're talking about keeping open house. How do we as a church become the people that God has called us to be? The first thing I want you to see is that David had a divine discontent. David had a divine discontent. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 7 verse 2. My coffee's about to spill. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Uh, in other words, I've arrived. I've got my house. I've got my dream house. 
made with cedar, this beautiful, expansive palace that, that you know, he was living the Jerusalem dream. He, he thought, I, had, I have arrived. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but perhaps as he was sitting there with his feet put up in a cold, uh, but God, you, my house is better than your house. I'm enjoying all of these good things, but God, you're living in a, in a tent. Now, notice God never said to him, David, I don't like this place. God never said that to him. In fact, even when the temple is, is um, opened and commissioned, God says, I don't dwell in a house made with hands. God doesn't live in buildings. He doesn't now, and he didn't then. He lives in people. He lives in people. But he recognized that regardless of how great my life is, if God's house is in disrepute, in disrepair, if God's house is lacking glory, then I have a divine discontent. I'm not satisfied to live my best life if God is not being glorified. Now, that's a lesson for many of us because many of us, our ambition is really to be in the place that, that David was in. David had arrived. He, he had made it to that place that he always wanted to be. Perhaps for you, that's your dream job, your dream house, living in that dream location, the, the forever home, whatever it is, and, and how easy it is for us to be content to be in that place and just have God, a, a little bit of God on the side, right? Uh, just let me keep God over here as long as I've got my best life, as long as I've got my dream, God, I just want to kind of keep you there on the side in case I get in trouble. In case I need you, you stay there. Because if I get in trouble, I may come running to you, but I'm not actually going to, I just want you to kind of stay there and be there for me and ultimately using God to build my kingdom. And the reality is that oftentimes we take on the same paradigm. We, we may not say it, but our hearts are, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in my mind, right? And God, as long as you will serve my kingdom, I'll kind of keep you there on the side. I believe in you, but I'm not actually going to give everything for you. I, I, I want to use you for my kingdom. And that's where David could have lived. He could have just said, I'm content to be here. I've arrived. I, I, I've made it. I've, I've accomplished what I want to. I've earned it. Now let me just put my feet up, sit back, and relax. But he had a divine discontent. You see, the world that we live in preaches what Mark Sayers calls the secular life script. And it is this, that you can have the kingdom without the king that you can have the blessings of God without really the presence of God. And, and if I could just have all of the good things in my life, then I will be satisfied. But David understood that would never satisfy him. He knew that regardless of the palace he lived in, the greatest satisfaction was the satisfaction he had before he had the kingdom when he was a shepherd boy out on the backside of Israel. And he knew what it was to enter into the presence of God. 
And so he had a divine discontent. I pray that God gives us a divine discontent. Let me say this. I know over this last year, we've all been thrown out of our comfort zone. Uh, the, the Bible says of David that he was at rest. And I know all of us can feel like, man, I could just use a little bit of that. Let me just get some rest. Let me just get back to normal. I just want to walk around and, and live like I used to live. But I want to say this to you. Don't let this pandemic shrink your vision down to your own comfort. Don't let this moment that we're in dumb down your ambition for life to just living a nice, comfortable life when God has called you for a kingdom purpose. Don't let it just be, I just want to get back to normal. God wants to expand our vision. Perhaps even in this season where everything is shaken and we've been thrown out of our comfort zone, perhaps God is wanting us to see the futility of everything that we often put our hopes and trust in. Ultimately, it's only the presence of God that gives us life and joy and peace. David had a divine discontent. And I've got a schedule, so I've got to keep moving. David had a divine discontent. The second thing I want you to see is that David had a heart for God's house. I told myself I was going to be a little calmer today, but it's been pent up for a while, so it's coming out, okay? 2 Samuel chapter 7, listen to what, listen to what Nathan's response was to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, when David says, I live in a tent, or I live in a, I live in a palace, I live in this house of cedar, this beautiful place, and God's house is in a tent. And Nathan said to him, listen to these words, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Notice that. Notice that Nathan doesn't say to David, shame on you, David. Shame on you. You're living in this beautiful house and God's in a tent. No, there's none of that. There's no manipulation. There's no arm twisting. There's no guilt trip. It's actually, Nathan just says, David, what's in your heart is what God wants you to do. And I want you to see that when it comes to building the house of God, and in the New Testament, the Bible says that the church is the house of God, that the, the, the church is, is the community of God, the temple of God. That, that we are the building of God in the church. And, and David said, I, I've got it in my heart. I've got it in my heart. Notice that desire came out of his heart. It, nobody was shaming him or guilting him. He just said, I've got it in my heart. I've got it in my heart. Now, why did David have it in his heart? Why did David say, I, I can't be content to just live in this luxury and and God live in this condition. The reason he had it in his heart is because David remembered where he came from. David remembered that he wasn't born into royalty. He, he had been chosen by God. In fact, the scripture says, and God reminds him that, that you used to follow the sheep. You used to be a shepherd on the backside of Bethlehem. Nobody knew who you were. Nobody wanted to be around you. You didn't have any inheritance. You didn't have, even your brothers forgot about you. And David remembered that. He remembered, I've not always been the king. I wasn't born into royalty. This is the grace of God. This is the goodness of God. This is, 
It wasn't my strength that killed the bear and the lion. It wasn't my skill that killed the giant. It wasn't my leadership that led the nation. It's the grace of God. And when we recognize the grace of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the response is, God, I just want to serve you. I want to give to you. I want to bless you. Because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have anything. If, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have, uh, uh, my heart wouldn't be beating. I wouldn't have air in my lungs. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have peace in my heart. And, and you see, grace always becomes the motivation for generosity. That's why the Apostle Paul, as he's speaking to the church in Corinth, as he talks about giving to the mission of the church, he says this, I, I remind you of the grace of God. He doesn't start with, let me tell you how needy we are, and now look at you guys, you look so good, and I see the car you're driving. He doesn't say that. He says, let me remind you of God's grace, that though you were poor, yet he through his poverty, or through, he, though he was rich, yet he uh, became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And, and when you recognize everything I have is the grace of God, it transforms your heart no longer to, okay, let me just build my life, take care of my needs, and, and maybe God will do a little something for you just to keep you around. Let me just kind of throw like a, like, like put out a little bowl of milk for a cat just to keep them around. God, I'll just put a little, here's a little something for you, God. No, David said, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. It was out of his heart. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves somebody that recognizes everything I have has come from God. And so, God, it's a privilege to give to you. I want to build your house. Nothing wrong with investing in my house. Nothing wrong, Jen and I right now are putting in a pool in our house. Nothing wrong with putting in a pool. But I, I've told her, and we've been tested in this commitment by working with contractors in this particular instance, that if, if that pool is our source of joy, that's a pretty shallow well of joy, okay? God's our source of joy. Everything we have comes from God. It comes from God. And so David had it in his heart to build God a house. David said, I want to build a place. I want to create a place where God, you would come and meet with us. And, and again, I, I want to point out, God didn't ask him to do it. It was in his heart. And, and here's what I, I want you to see this morning, and I'm getting to something in a moment that you may be suspecting that I'm getting to. God never lives in buildings. God doesn't need a house. People need a house. God lives in people. And God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. That's why the psalmist says, if I made my bed in hell, you're still there. So you don't have a building and think that, well, this is the place that now God's presence is limited. But people are limited. People are limited. We're not omnipresent. Although in Zoom world and Online, you can feel like you're everywhere at once, but we do still live in bodies. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. And so people need buildings. God doesn't need a building. People need buildings. 
And so I want to share with you today, I'm going to shift gears a little bit into some practical stuff, and I want to share with you our vision for God's house, our vision for a building. And again, the building isn't God's house, we are God's house. But some of you know that since we started this church, we've had a vision for a place. We've had a vision to have a place of our own. When we started this church, I felt like the Lord said to me, don't rush the foundation. What's the foundation? The foundation is the gospel. The foundation is a personal connection to Jesus. That if all the church is, is buildings and, and, and natural things, it's on a, shake, a shaky foundation. And our foundation has been tested over the last year. Can you agree? But in fact, just even looking around this room today, the fact that there's anybody here is a testament to the strength of the foundation. But I believe now God's calling us to, to rise up and build. Now, a foundation is a great start, but you don't just lay the foundation and stop there. A foundation is to build upon. And, and so I believe that God is calling us to build, that God's calling us to, to have a place that is a building where we can meet with God. And so I want to share with you kind of the vision for what I call the open house. The open house is uh, our vision for a building. And what we are envisioning is not just a typical church building with pews and a steeple and nothing wrong with that. But here's what I've recognized over being in church for many years is that uh, churches practically are, uh, buildings are churches' greatest expense oftentimes. And they sit empty for about 90% of the week. Um, I think all of us would agree in our own personal finances, if we had something that uh, was our biggest expense, but our smallest use, we would probably say that's not a great investment. And so what we've always dreamed of is, is not just a church building, but you could go to the next, uh, the next slide. We've had a dream for a building that would really be a, a multi-purpose uh, event and meeting space. Now, for us in our hearts, that would be a building that we would say is a place dedicated to God and people. Again, God doesn't need the building. We need the building, all right? But, but a place where we can come together as we are today and say, God, we're coming to meet with you. And so we want to have a place that we can say, this is a place that we are developing, that we are building to meet with God. Practically speaking, what would that kind of place look like? Again, I, I don't have anything uh, against pews. If uh, someone gave us a building that had pews in it, I would say, praise God for pews. But if I'm looking for a place for, from scratch, I'm not, I'm not looking for a place that has pews that, or maybe even a sloped floor that can only be used for large gatherings. We would love to have a multi-purpose, multi-use space. Um, we need approximately 7,500 square feet or more. Uh, some of you in here, J.D., I know you're aware of this. Dave, I know you'd be aware of this, uh, that there are ratios that architects use for building church buildings of about 50 square feet per person. And so for us as a church pre-COVID, uh, that would work out to being a building of about 7,500 square feet. So that's what we're looking for. You guys can go to the next slide. Within that, uh, there's really four types of spaces that we would love to have in this, uh, in this space. Number one is a gathering space. Uh, we need a place to gather like this. We need a place where we can come together, worship God, preach the word, a place where we can pray, a place where we can 
uh, have classes, a place where we can have a variety of events, and what we would love is a place that we could also rent out to the community just so it's not sitting empty, you know, for the majority of the week. And so we need a gathering space for about 150 people. Now, uh, we also would love that to be a video studio. I know some of you say, or maybe thinking, well, 150 people, uh, that's, that's too small. And I would say, yes, it is. But there's no building big enough for what God wants to do. Yeah. I mean, let's just get real. You can't contain what God wants to do. So you just kind of have to go what's practical, okay? And so we'd love to have a building that would seat about 150 people, but you could also have 75 people. You could have 100 people. You could have multiple services in a, in a, a venue that would have that uh, capacity. But we also believe that video is an essential tool to continue to reach people. Practically speaking, every Sunday, now we have people tuning in, not just here in our local community, but people in other states. Uh, some of you know we've got people joining, people that have given their life to Christ through Alpha Online that are now joining us, which let me just give a plug for Alpha Online. We launched uh, Marjorie and, and Hannah in the back. Would you guys stand up and just give everybody a wave? I know people at home can't see you. Let me see. Naya, where's Naya at? Naya's on Alpha Online as well. And uh, Brad, Brad, of course, I'm sorry. I start listing names and it's always, uh, I, I, miss, I miss people. But we're seeing God do incredible things. And I know some of you would say, well, I'm not really into video. And that's why you're here. <laughs> but there are some people that, who, that aren't here. And I know some of us would say, well, video's not my thing. Well, tell Peloton that. <laughs> tell, tell Peloton that video is not working, Okay. That, that people have to be together in the same space. And so we believe that God has given us a disproportionately incredible video team because he wants us to use video to send the message as far as we can. We can have a global reach, and so we would love to develop a space that, yes, it's designed for in-person gatherings, but we can also use it for video, creating video content during the week, uh, broadcasting our services, and a place where we don't have to set it up and tear it down every week. Everybody look back at those incredible people back there. I know, guys, on the, at home you can't see, but Ben... Shepler, Daniel Santiago, Gabriel Santiago, Nate is also a part of it. There was guys here at 7 o'clock this morning setting that up. Okay, it's one thing to broadcast online. It's another thing to, like, just set up a portable video studio in, you know, random places. That's a big job. And so we would love to have a place where our energy is not having to go to recreating an environment every week. Imagine with me what would happen if we as a church had a place where the, the talents, the skills, the creative design, the, the uh, architecture, the hospitality gifts within our church could be focused in an area. It would be, I'm just going to tell you right now, it would be the greatest place in the city. I'm, I'm not even kidding. It would be the greatest place in the city because of the gifts that God's put in this place. I'm sorry, Disney. Take the back seat, Okay. So we need a gathering space, not only a gathering space, but it also needs to be a workspace. I don't know if you realize this, pastors don't just work on Sundays. I don't know if you're aware of that, but we, so we need a workspace uh, for our staff 
But what we would also love is a space that could be available to other people, available to our teams within our church, and maybe even available for some of you that if we had a collaborative hoteling, I think is the word they use now, style workspace where people could come in, bring their laptop, pop up, do some work, and, and have a little bit of peace and quiet in that space. We'd love to have a space like that, not only a gathering space and a workspace, but also a, a social space. A social space. If you're new to one church, uh, we love to eat. In fact, it may be my spiritual gift, okay? Eating may be my spiritual gift. Most of my sermons have to do with food and the table and that sort of thing. I believe it's biblical, okay? But we love to get together, and that's crucial for a church. I would say the argument could be made that if Jesus was going to design a church building, it may not be around a stage, it may be around a table. It may be around the space where there's fellowship and breaking bread and, and relationships being built together. So we believe socializing is a priority, and we want to get together. I'm going to cool my jets again. Okay, I'm sorry. Social space, cafe. We'd love to have a cafe, and uh, we've got some connections with people that have some great uh, insight in that. So cafe, kitchen, a place where we can eat together. I'd love for us to have a, a patio kind of an indoor-outdoor space where when the weather's beautiful like it is today, after service, before service, we just open the doors and, and we can hang out outside. And, and it's just this indoor-outdoor, mixed-use, social gathering space, maybe a backyard where the kids can run, and uh, which is the last space, uh, the kids' space. Again, if you're new to one church, we've got a lot of kids, and that's a growing number daily growing okay the longer you guys are in quarantine it may continue to bump to bump up um, so we as a church here's part of the reason we've been in such a predicament on gathering is because if it doesn't work for kids it doesn't work for us now I recognize that there's many people that don't have kids or or you're single or you're an empty nester or maybe you do not have children in your house but many people have children, and we believe that if we don't have a place that's, that works for kids, and not just works, but is an incredible kids' space. And in fact, I would be willing to make kids' space a priority over worship space. I'll worship anywhere. I don't know if y'all have realized that. I'll worship in the park. I'll worship in my car. I'll worship anywhere. I won't force you to do that, but I can do that. But kids need a space that's safe, that's fun. So we need some flexible classroom space. We also need play spaces. And uh, we would love to have a place. Here's part of what we're envisioning is this open house building that is an event and gathering space open to the community during the week, meets all of the needs of the church for worship and prayer and classes and alpha and men's meetings and morning prayer meetings and afternoon prayer meetings, evening prayer meetings. We're just going to do it all the time because we can at that point, okay? So... But, but we would love to have a place where it is a cafe. It's kind of built around a cafe and kids' play area. Okay, so this is kind of what we're considering. Could we develop something that would be, um, you know, call it um, Chuck E. Cheese for hipsters? Okay, uh, maybe, maybe not just that, but, you know, it's a place. Who likes to go to a cafe? And if you're not a hipster, don't feel excluded, okay? I'm not either. I'm just saying cool design, okay? So who, who likes to go to a cafe? Lots of us. We love to go to cafes. Uh, who has kids? If you like to go in, if we drew a diagram 
people that like cafes, that's a lot of people. People that have kids, that's a lot of people. People that like cafes and have kids, those don't overlap. Well, they do, but it doesn't work together. Anybody ever tried to take kids to a cafe? If you have not, some of you are smart enough not to, but if you have not, borrow my children and take them to a coffee shop, okay? And just try to hang out and act real cool. It totally kills your cool street cred, okay? You are, you are totally uncool at that point. But we'd love to have a place where we can open it up to the community to come in, get a great cup of coffee, sit down, do some work, and what we would love to do is have a space where there would be a, a kids' play area that would be open where kids could play while their parents are doing some work or meeting for a cup of coffee or some you know, church gathering that we would have a place for the kids during that time. And so that's what we uh, want to do. Next screen. All right, so there we go. There's, there's the, the bottom line. There's the bottom line. It costs money to do something. If you've ever bought a house, you know that feeling alone does not buy the house. Are we aware of that? I think we're all aware of that, that you can walk into a home and you can say, I love this home. You can get excited about the home, but there is a price, there is a cost. And we as a church, uh, we have been paying uh, typically um, through, our, through our rental, our rental costs could service a mortgage of somewhere around $1.8 So we've been looking for a building in that range, but we have to put a down payment on it. Now, we already have a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank that we're planning to use for that, but we have to, we, we have to raise money in order to get that. And so here's what I'm asking you guys to do. In fact, we've got some cards that we're going to hand out right now, and uh, you guys can start handing them out. If you're a first-time guest here today, I just want to say this is the first time in the history of one church ever that we have handed out cards and that we have talked, we've ever put an, have we ever put a, a number amount of money on the screen? Okay, so if you're here as a first-time guest, you're going, oh my goodness, wow, this is a really expensive church to attend. Uh, I'm sorry that you've come on this day, okay? But in all seriousness, I, I, I'm not sorry because we believe that God wants us to create a space for God and people. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you guys to pray about partnering together with us as a church to establish a place. Pre-COVID, we knew we wanted a place, but it wasn't that big of a priority. But now we've not been able to meet on a regular basis. And even now, uh, we're only able to be here every other week. We don't want a place where we can just meet every other week. We don't even want a place where we can just meet on Sundays. We want a place where we can meet throughout the week, that we can minister to the community, that, that we can not just provide for our own needs, but we can care for the needs of others around us. And so I, I want to ask you, and this is kind of my, my pitch, uh, we want to get a building that would be an open house for our church. We want to establish a place that's a gathering space, a workspace, a social space, a kid's space. And I want to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us as a church in that. Uh, we have some spaces right now that we are looking at that we may be able to bring report back to you in the coming days and weeks. 
But we want to bring this to you guys. Our eldership team has been talking about this for a number of, well, really uh, many, many months, but very focused over the last several weeks. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us. And I want you to go to the next screen. Or actually, maybe I don't have another screen there. Yes, okay, that's, here's what I want to ask you to do. Here's some guidance. What does it look like to partner? As David said, I want to build a house. I want to create a space for God to be glorified. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Number one, I want it to be prayerful. I want it to be prayerful. I'm sharing with you the goal that we as a church need to raise, but I'm not going to twist anybody's arm. Uh, I, I'm not going to beg anybody. In fact, I'm not even going to ask you to give. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to ask you to ask God what he would have you to give. Okay? I, I'm not going to say, you know, I, we need some $10,000 club members. We don't have any of that. But here's what I... And to be honest, I, I, I could not stand in good faith and try to twist anybody's arm. But here's what I can do, and here's what I am doing, unashamedly asking you to ask God. I want, I want to ask you to ask God, God, what would you have me to give? And then here's what I want to encourage you to do. Whatever God tells you to give, don't give a penny more and don't give a penny less. Give whatever God puts on your heart. And here's what I believe, that God is going to begin to put a, a number on our hearts that if, if you're a part of this church, that you would sense that partnership, that ownership to this place that God has called us to. And, and I know you may hear that $300,000. You may think, well, that's a lot of money. But let me say this. How do you put a dollar figure as a value to a person's life being changed? How do you quantify the value of your sons and daughters having an encounter with the presence of God? How do you put an encounter on people being set free, on marriages being strengthened, on people experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do you put a dollar figure on that? Well, let me tell you, if people can, can break the bank to invest in GameStop, I think we, we can be even more radical in our investment into the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about what you eat and drink or wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I want to ask you, be prayerful. The second thing I want to ask you to do is to be sacrificial. Sacrificial. You know, we, we encourage everybody to, to tithe, to give the first fruits of your income towards the Lord. But then there are also moments where we give over and above. Then again, if you're if you're here for the first time today, we don't talk about this a lot, but we know if we're going to step into what God has called us to, that we have to give sacrificially. And David understood that there is no worship without sacrifice. I can come in and lift my hands. I can dance. I can, I can express it. But if it doesn't cost me anything, I may just be dancing. I may have a dance party. But if, it's, if there's no sacrifice, that is not worship. Worship requires sacrifice. And so I want to encourage you to pray about what would be sacrificial for you. And then lastly, I want to, pray, I want to encourage you to pray about what, what would you do cheerfully? What would you do cheerfully? Again, we're not twisting anybody's arms. We just believe that if God wants this to happen, God is going to make it happen. And God is going to bless us. And God's going to provide for us. 
And here's what Jen and I have seen again and again, that when we step out in faith, you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. And I want to prepare to land my message. In fact, worship team, you guys can come back up. As I was, as I was preparing this message, I was just feeling, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? I, I had that thought, I want to build you a house. I, I want to build you a house. And I felt like the Lord put in my heart. It's not just that we want to be with God. God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. God doesn't need a building. We need a building. And I had this, I had a reminder. I felt like the Lord brought it to my heart of a, a home video that I have of my kids from several years ago. And they were building a tent in their bedroom. Who's ever done that? Some of us, when we're kids, build tents. Maybe your kids have done that. And they said, they, they were in their bedroom, and I heard them say, Daddy, Daddy, come to our tent. Come to our tent. And I walked in, and I've got this video that's just a precious moment for me. Clara was less than a year. She's just kind of getting drugged around by her brothers, but... They're saying, here's a room over here. This is my room. Here's this, this is this room, and this is that room. And I felt like the Lord said, that's what I want to do. Now, I don't need a house. I don't need my kids to build me a house. I have a house. And even the tent that they built was too small for me. I don't need the house, but I want to be with them. I love them. Let me tell you, God loves you. The word that Joshua had earlier is the heart of God. Maybe you feel like you've always been left out. Maybe you as a child felt, I'm on the outside. Maybe you felt neglected. Maybe you felt like you were never good enough. Let me tell you, God says to you, you're good enough. I want you. I love you. His arms are open. God, what we are saying is, God, would you just come? God, would you come into our tent? It's small, can't contain you. But would you crouch down and would you crawl in among your children? Would you come down to our level? And God loves to come to the level of his children when we want to meet with him. And so God's not needing a building, but we need a place to gather. And I believe God is saying, would you build me a house? Would you build me a house? Because I want to meet with you. I want a place that there's been a sacrifice made. I want a place that there's a, a heart. That when I look across the planet, that I say, there's a group of people, one church, park district. There's a heart after me. I think I hear my name, Daddy. 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 And God would say, I'm coming running towards you. And then here's the beauty of God is that when God comes, I've said this before, God brings all his stuff with him. God brings his blessing. We don't build the house to get God's blessing. We don't worship because of what we receive. We worship because we recognize everything we have is what we've received. But here's the incredible thing is that when we give to God, we get caught up in this beautiful Trinitarian circle of blessing, circle of goodness. And when we give to God, God just says, you're not going to outdo me. 
you've been generous with me. Let me just show you what I can do. You think you're generous? You ain't seen nothing yet. Here's God's generosity coming at you. God's good. You think you're good? Let me show you. God's goodness coming after you. God's joy. God's peace. And that's where Paul says, you're going to become a cheerful giver. That word literally means hilarious. And let me tell you, when you begin to see, wow, God's blessing to me, and I'm going to give to God, and God keeps out doing me, you become a cheerful giver. And that's what happened to David. My third point is when David built God's house, God built David's house. God said, because you've had a heart after me, because you've prioritized my kingdom over your kingdom, I'm going to make sure that there will be a seed from your line that will be on the throne. And that's the seed of David, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, every single one of us has been brought in. Every single one of us has been brought into the kingdom. No longer outsiders. We get to experience the presence of God, the life of God. I want to ask you, if you would, just to stand to your feet. We're going to close but I believe that this needs to be a holy moment before the Lord. I know we've been talking about practicalities, but the issue of the house is not about the house, it's about the heart. It's about the heart, the heart of faith. The Bible says this, that when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? What is that faith? It's in the good news that through Jesus, we have access to all of God's goodness. So, Father, it's our joy. It's our delight. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask you to come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this place. Father, we thank you, Lord, that it's not a, it's not a building that we ultimately long for. God, it's your presence. Lord, your presence is heaven on earth. And, Lord, we ask that you would come. Lord, would you come? Bring your presence. Come, advance your kingdom. God, we don't want to live for our own kingdom, our own goodness. God, we want to seek your kingdom. And so, Father, our hearts just turn towards you today. We say, Daddy, come. Daddy, come. Daddy, come. Fill this place. Daddy, come. Crouch down and crawl in among your children, we pray. Thank you for it, Lord. Let's worship the Lord.